We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Chiefs just had a nail-biter of a game Monday night defeating the Raiders. Travis Kelsey went off. Well, K-State and Mizzou are on a bye this week, and that means all the focus is on KU going to Oklahoma. I have everything you need to know right here on The Best of Everything. You are listening to KC Sports Network, the number one podcast network for today's Kansas City sports fans. With former players from your favorite teams, informed perspectives, and former insiders, this is the place for you. KC Sports Network is proudly presented by Emprise Bank, your partner in Possible. This is the best of everything presented by Charlie Hustle. I'm your host, Michaela Bennett. This week is a little bit different. We have Mizzou and K-State on bye weeks, and Kansas will head to Oklahoma to take on the Sooners. Well, let's back up a little bit. The Kansas City Chiefs just defeated the Raiders Monday night at home in Arrowhead, but it wasn't exactly the game that we thought it would be. Now, the Chiefs Travis Kelsey, Patrick Mahomes, just a dynamic duo. They just kind of came out of nowhere and flipped a script, but there was one defining play that really made the game kind of go in the opposite direction for the Chiefs. You had an interesting take, and so go ahead. So tell me about the penalty, because I know we're going to talk about yeah. that, but tell me how you, how you saw that playing into this game. As crazy as it sounds – that penalty where we didn't get the, the, the strip fumble from Chris Jones and they called it roughing the passer, right. that was the turning point in my opinion. That penalty going against us right. and us facing that adversity, the crowd got into it. The coach, I've never seen Andy Reid that pissed off. Never. I, he's, right. get, he's getting after the ref. Uh, Patrick is pissed off. The entire team is just pissed off and lit a fire underneath everyone. Um, they go up 20 to they go up twenty to 7. We get the ball back with 17 seconds. Patrick Surgical gets right down the field. Boom. The new kicker drills a, a Chiefs record for a field goal to go into the half 20 to 10. Right. At, at that moment, I knew, okay, the moment was back on our side. I knew without a doubt we were going to get the ball back, start the half, and get a touchdown. And from there, it was game, in my opinion. The, the, that's a really interesting point. I just, but I do want to, I don't know if I brought this statistic up before, but you know, one thing we practice a ton in the NFL, and good, good coaches will practice it are two-minute situations, both two-minute yeah. before the half and two-minute uh, at the end of the game. Obviously, two-minute at the end of the game is very important, right? Uh, game's on the line. But two-minute going into the half, the statistics are insane when you look at 
the last person that scores going into halftime, how what the percentage are of that team scoring? So the person last team scoring before going into halftime, that that percentage of wins for the team that scores last going into the halftime is like eighty or ninety percent chance that that. Team's I, gonna win. I I guarantee you, I know how you know that statistic. You play for the New York Jets and you face Tom Brady. He was the best at it. <laughs> <laughs> he was that's, the best at it. Exactly and everyone, right. every team around the league, they would go into the film room and they would say, New England's the best at end-of-half situations. They're going to oh, figure, out, they're gonna figure awesome. out where to score. And if, you, if they score, the percentages shoot through the roof. So oh, shout out to yeah. Tom Brady. I know he got a uh, a good call, which he does from time to time. But, you know, I'm giving him his flowers right now. <laughs> that's right. It's, and you're right. That's exactly where it was from, uh, was from my time with the Jets because of playing against New England. And it's just a dagger in a heart when a team can yeah. go down, especially with 17 seconds left. And so I had actually had turned it off after that last score uh, with the 17 seconds left, thinking, uh, you know, let me put the kids to bed and get this, that, and the other. And then all of a sudden I get a notification on the phone that, you know, they kicked the field goal within the, with that 17 seconds. I was like, boom, we're good. We're solid. Uh, going in. So, but that's really interesting what you said about the that bad call, getting the guys fired up because – you heard Travis Kelsey talk about it. I don't know if it was today or yesterday. He said, once you see Big Red fired up, he's like, everybody's yeah. getting fired up. I don't remember ever seeing him like that. I, not I, even close to that. I have never. There have been a couple times in training camp where I've heard him say some things that he doesn't typically say, but it's few right. and far in between. But I've never seen him on the field lose his composure in that way. And I want to say he lose, lost his composure because it was warranted. It was a terrible yeah. call. It, it, it was just bad. So, but I, I've never seen that from him. So, I, I'm pretty sure the team was like, "Wow, we should be pissed yeah. off too." <laughs> Jeff Allen definitely knows what it's like. He has been a chief before, and that play that he talked about—that roughing the passer play—really changed the game for the Chiefs. I think now you can catch that full show on One on One with Jeff Allen and Mike DeVito. They talk all about it. But Travis Kelsey obviously had a great game. The offense just kind of went explosive after a little bit. And Matt Castle sits down on the breakdown this week to break down the offense, break down what plays went well for the Chiefs in the red zone and what plays Travis Kelsey, it went well. So he breaks it down, breaks down what went well for the Chiefs and what plays exactly they executed that made Travis Kelsey's night so unbelievable. Yeah, so you've got man-to-man -man right here, and it's what we call one funnel. And so as Travis Kelsey comes over, he's really kind of creating this bunch. And when you look up at Valdez, Scantling up top, and also Juju Smith, they're in a stack. What, what's taking place on the defensive side of the ball is they've got a combo going on inside. The interior defensive back is it takes first inside. The other guy takes first outside. But the big part about this for Kelsey is he's one-on-one -on -one with that DB that just ran across the formation. So he's going to sell that flat right now. And as he starts to sell that flat, you can see that DB's in a panic mode, right? He's out of position. He's got to get over the top. He's got to get through this junk, this mess of the bunch and the stack. And then when he sells it, Kelsey does, he puts his foot in the ground and starts coming in on that angle. And that's where the soft spot of this defense, they already overcommitted to the flat. He should be open. But the guy that's going to make the play here is the safety. He's just reading eyes. He's trying to get involved in the play. He's coming to make a play. But this is what I love about it. It was in rhythm by Patrick Mahomes. He put the ball on his back shoulder to protect the throw, and then Kelsey's able to fall in for the touchdown. They break down 
all the offense throughout that entire show. If you want to hear more plays, definitely check them out. The breakdown, but Travis Kelsey had an, an amazing night to say the least. He had so many highlights in that game and BJ got on to tell us 10 unbelievable facts, like facts that you probably didn't know about this game. Yes. Travis Kelsey had four touchdowns. Yes. He had whatever you name it. But there's a lot of interesting facts that we don't know that date back years even. So BJ breaks down all of these facts, and I'm going to give you a few that he has about Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey caught a team-high seven passes for just 25 yards with four touchdowns in Monday night's game. It marks Kelsey's first career regular season four-touchdown game. The performance against the Raiders ties the franchise record for the most receiving touchdowns in a game, joining running back Jamal Charles, who did that at Oakland. I think a lot of us remember that game. That was on December 15th, 2013. And then um, I don't remember this one because it was a little before my time, but wide receiver Frank Jackson at San Diego on December 13th, 1964. And those are the only three players in franchise history with four scoring receptions in a single game. It marks Kelsey's ninth career multi-touchdown game and the first game with more than two receiving touchdowns. All right, moving on to number three, also Travis Kelsey. He becomes the fourth tight end in NFL history with at least four receiving touchdowns in one game, tying the second most grabs in a single game in NFL history. Or only former Chargers tight end Kellen Winslow Sr. owns more with five. Kelsey becomes the first player to record four receiving touchdowns in a single game since wide receiver Marvin Jones Jr. had four scoring grabs as a member of the Detroit Lions back on October 20th. 2019 i did see a nugget also that kelsey uh, had the fewest receiving yards for any player that had four touchdowns and the marvin jones was in second place and marvin jones had 92 yards to go along with his four touchdowns where kelsey again kind of laughably at this point one of the most memorable games of his career and he finished with seven catches for 25 yards but again four of those coming inside the end zone and i believe according to next gen stats three of those came on the exact same route um, with that over route inside the end zone in the red zone. So big time performance from Kelsey and number four, also Travis Kelsey, as he continues his hot streak of consecutive games with a reception with his catch in the first quarter of Monday night's game against the Las Vegas Raiders. Kelsey now extends his streak to 131 consecutive games with at least one catch. Now that reception tied him with pro football hall of fame, tight end Tony Gonzalez for the most consecutive games with a pass reception in franchise history. And among active players, the reception keeps him in second place behind Cardinals wide receiver DeAndre Hopkins, who is still serving his suspension. It was a very close game for the Chiefs this past week, and they were able to pull it off. But unfortunately for the Jayhawks fans and KU, they weren't able to pull off the defeat of TCU. However, they are still ranked and they are heading into Norman this week to take on the Sooners. It has been a bit since Kansas has defeated the Sooners, especially on the road. So Ain't No Seeds talks about what Kansas needs to do this week. Are they still going to be Big 12 contenders after this week? I, You're going to think I'm crazy. I still think we're right there in the Big 12 race, and I don't care what anyone says. This is a top 20 team in the country right now, a team that almost beat one of the best teams. in the. I, I said it last week. I think TCU is a dark horse college football playoff candidate it's not going to happen i just personally think they could lose one regular season game maybe win the big 12 championship if they beat a good oklahoma state team in the big 12 championship 
They could potentially make the playoffs. I'm, I just said they won't, but I think they're a dark horse. We just took them to the wire. We made the mistakes. It was tied with four minutes left. I think Bean doesn't – Bean, it was a lazy pick. We missed a chip shot field goal. So a lot of things went against KU, yeah. and they still had a chance to beat that good of a team. And our defense got a ton of stops against TCU early. And even – I'm pretty positive – what was it? We were we were up seven. They missed the field goal, and then the defense gets a stop. So we've said it all year. The defense has gotten every big stop imaginable. Hopefully they yeah. can do that in Norman. I think we're going to go into Norman and win the game. Um, so obviously I'm taking plus nine. I think whatever you put on plus nine, maybe put half of it on money line too because I think we're going to win. So my, I mean, a, I think I'm going to sprinkle some on money line just to be part of it. But plus 260, oh, it would feel amazing to win that game. I mean, but, missing out on KU Moneyline at Morgantown when we were a 14, 15-point dog hurt. Yeah, yeah, it did. We just didn't know the the absolute monster Lance and Jalen and his staff were. But, yeah, it's going to be uh, – I think our defense is better, our offense is better, and our staff is better. Call me crazy, but I truly believe that right now. Yeah. I hope you're right. But either way, I think we can all agree, plus nine, disrespect. It's another disrespectful line. The uh, the Iowa State line was disrespectful. This line is disrespectful, and uh, we'll see how it goes. But all right, you got anything else? Um, I should be in Norman Saturday, so hopefully I'm not bad luck. Hopefully my gambling advice isn't bad luck, which it probably will be. But I don't see I don't see this team losing by two scores to some of the best teams in the conference. They yeah. just took the best team in the conference nearly beat them. So I don't see why the team with the worst record in the big 12 is two scores better. Maybe I'll be wrong, but I feel really good about this team. We lost JD, hopefully not for long, but I think Bean will pick it right back up. I firmly believe that the staff's just as confident with Bean. I think the players feel the same way. So I feel good going into Norman. Be freaking awesome to beat them. It's been probably what, 20 something years, 30 years, maybe. I don't even know. And then I Baylor should have beat them last year. I don't see why Baylor wouldn't be a winnable game next week. Also, they're three point favorite in Morgantown, a team we beat. Baylor's unranked. Um, I think, I think we're better than the next two teams we play, but they're both on the road. So, hey, sorry to interrupt today's podcast, but I have to tell you about a couple of our sponsors. First one being Liquid Death. You've heard us talk about this company. All the time here on KC Sports Network here at KCSN, we love Liquid Death. And when I'm looking through the bottled water section of my local store and I say, oh, what are those strange tall boys up there? I know it's Liquid Death. And you might look at it and be like, wait, what is that up there? Kind of rad looking cans. It's Liquid Death. And it's spring water from the Alps. It's not beer. And it is called Liquid Death. Yeah, that name jumps off the can. The the can design, everything. I would show you a can, but I don't have one because I've drank all of them. I've drank everything that they've given me at Liquid Death because it's so delicious. Because it absolutely murders your thirst. That's why it's called Liquid Death. It murders your thirst. And not only does it murder your thirst, but it brings death to plastic bottles. I hate plastic pollution. You hate plastic pollution. Their infinitely recyclable tall boy aluminum cans help bring death to that as well, that pollution. And they donate 10% of their profits to uh, help kill plastic pollution. Another good thing about the folks over at Liquid Death. And let me tell you, they've got, uh, I believe, four different flavors that you can get. 
Uh, no, five, if you talk about their uh, flavored sparkling waters. They've got a berry. They've got a mango. They've got a lime. All of them are very good. As a guy who drinks sparkling water myself, love the liquid death versions of them. Make sure you go check those out. They have just a still spark, a still water, which is the water from the Alps. Kind of weird to be drinking out of a can, but it feels good to be drinking out of a can because you're doing, you're doing good for the environment. And they also have just a regular sparkling water if you want to add it to your Add it to your uh, mixed drinks, maybe. Have it be a little bit of a, of a beverage mixer you could have there with your liquid death. But they've got all kinds of things, and you can go find it at your local Woodman's, 7-Eleven Roundies, or Hy-Vee. Or, here's what you can do. You can go and find a liquid death retailer near you using uh, code KCSN. That's liquiddeath.com slash KCSN. Go to that website. Find a liquid death retailer near you. That's liquiddeath.com slash KCSN. Now let's get back to today's show. Now, Ain't No Seeds talks about where Kansas is in the Big 12. And Three Ma talks about where K-State is in the big 12 this week now they have a bye week and they just come off of a road win a couple road wins actually but k-state is taking this much needed bye week right now but what does that mean for the wildcats what does the bye week really mean right now in the middle of the season and how is this going to kind of transition the momentum going into the second half of the season is this are we are we thinking now? You know, I mean, Cole, I'll reiterate this for you because we kind of talked about this a little bit up front, but incredible to win in Ames and win in Norman and have those out of the way, you know, three games into the season. But if you were to power rank the Big 12 right now, those are probably two of the bottom three teams. Is is K-State a tier one Big 12 team right now? I will to me, the the top tier at this moment would be K-State, Oklahoma State, TCU, and Texas. I'll throw Texas in there too, because they if Texas wants to come focused, which is always the question, but they can be a massive problem uh, the rest of the year for everybody else. That to me is tier one. Are you guys are you guys on board I with agree. that? I think Texas is a problem. I, I think Texas is actually now at a lot of the sports books the betting favorite to win the league. Um, yeah. yeah, I think that's possibly the most talented team in the Big Twelve, and and they actually look like they put it together, and they've been really impressive the last two weeks. Uh, I know OU's down, but to dominate them in that fashion, uh, we've seen a lot of Red River Red River rivalries where you know an opposing team, Oklahoma or Texas, wasn't very good, and that game was really competitive still, and Texas just outright dominated them, and they dominated West Virginia the week before, which I know West Virginia is probably the worst team in this league potentially, but still. Uh, pretty impressive. See, I, I put K-State, I agree with you said, K-State's in tier one for sure, TCU, um, Texas, and Oklahoma State. I, I agree with all those. Um, I, you know, I'm still interested to see a little bit more from TCU, that defense. That's where I am. I, I if, if, I, if I was on the fence about any of those four, I'd be on the fence about TCU. Yep. Like, I know yeah, yeah. I know they got a lot of dudes. They, they got a lot of dudes on offense, right? Some big, talented receivers, Duggan, solid, um, good running game. But that defense, there, there was no pass rush. John and I watched that game together. They could not do anything up front against Kansas. So I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. Look, I was not high on TCU at all coming into the year. And I, I just sort of after the Oklahoma game, it opened my eyes. And I was like, okay. And I know there's a lot of talk about the talent that they have. I mean, Gary Patterson, I mean, this could be a situation like, I mean, probably not to this extent, but you think about John Blake, 
at Oklahoma was recruiting really well, had all these guys there, you know, in the late nineties, but just sucked, couldn't win games. And so Bob Stoops comes in and year two wins a national championship because the, the cover was not bare. They had a lot of talent there. Uh, so maybe that, maybe that is just it. A rejuvenization here of the offense in particular for TCU and Gary Patterson was kind of antiquated by the end of his time there and what he was doing. Um, I, I can see the case there for TCU, but yes, it will be very interesting to watch them. Uh, watch them play this weekend. I would still, I would have Kansas and Baylor probably alone in tier two, you know, sort of right, right below that, especially we'll see what happens with, with Kansas moving forward in their quarterback situation uh, with, with Jalen Daniels, but I, Oklahoma, I, I you know, I, this, I just got to make this point. Jeff Levy, you know, I heard so much about Jeff Levy and how great of a hire that was as their offensive coordinator did all this great stuff with Ole Miss and OU fans. Now we're not missing a beat. I understand Dylan Gabriel was out, but, when Lincoln Riley was there, you had a quarterback room with Caleb Williams and Spencer Rattler. Like there, there was always the next guy ready and waiting to come up. You know, you had Kyler Murray behind Baker Mayfield. They brought in that bevel kid. They personally handpicked him as the transfer to come in. And you don't even trust him to run two full series of offense before you have to go wildcat. Like that's where Oklahoma is at a year after having Caleb Williams as their quarterback, like Caleb Williams, Spencer Rattler. Like that is how did the situation get that bad that fast? at Oklahoma where they're having to suffer through jump pass interceptions from their freaking running back because they don't trust the transfer quarterback from Pitt. Well, K-State heads into a bye week this week, and so does Mizzou. They are going to a bye week after just losing a heartbreaker to Florida and another SEC loss on the year. Now, Maggie Johnson says in Mizzou That's Who this week, it's not just one play that defines a game. Yes, some people may say it was one play. And even the Chiefs game, we like to say that it was one play that defined the game. It was that roughing the passer call that really changed the momentum. But Maggie argues there's a lot of one plays that can change the game. There's a lot of one moment that can change good or bad, the entire of the game. So if you're going to say there's one one play that really defined the game, then you got to pinpoint all the other plays. But Maggie talks about it with Gabe Darmond and Tucker Franklin on Mizzou That's Who. They talk about the, the, the Tigers' loss last week and heading into bye week, what they need to do to come out of the bye week, refreshed, refocused, and head into the rest of the SEC. It's ha- always hard to say that one play is what changed everything because one play typically doesn't change everything. I mean, if you say that, if you say one call changed the entire game, then you could easily say one dropped pass changed the entire game. I mean, you just can't really pick and choose too much. And I'm a little, I don't want to say I'm guilty of it, but with this, that, um, that, uh, Florida get the, when they converted on the fourth and two, and there was a very blatant hands to the face and they ran 40 yards and scored a touchdown on this drive. I mean, I'm guilty of saying things like that too, because you see it. And as a fan, you're like, well, that's not fair, but that's, that's, that's Missouri. Like yeah. we got the hands to the face called against us the week before we, they don't call it against Florida this week. I mean, what can you really do? You can't do anything. Well, and look, Missouri is losing these games in the first half. Like mm. that's there, they lost Auburn in the first half because they fell behind fourteen nothing. They lost Florida in the first half because Florida had sixty five yards of offense at halftime and was in a tie game. 
That should not have been a tie. Florida should have had zero points at halftime. Yeah. They lost Georgia in the first half because they were ahead 16-3, but probably should have been ahead at least 20-3. to You know, so I think we focus on the one at the very end, but like there are a lot of things they could have done in the first 30 minutes to change those games. Absolutely. And uh you, you bring up that Florida game, another good showing for the defense. I've seen a few tweets from a different people. The advanced analytics, the advanced metrics do love the Missouri defense. I believe in, in terms of like EPA per play, they're one of the, the, one of the top teams in the country. There's another metric that I saw. I'll have to look it up here. I saw on Twitter that they're a top 10 defense in terms of this, uh, this metric. So um, there's been some very good showings from the Missouri defense. They kept them in the game for well. That's the Missouri defense is keeping them in games. It's just the offense that just cannot score points. And when the offense is allowing points, uh, like pick sixes and stuff like that, that's not going to help the Missouri defense at all. It's not going to help Missouri at all. Um, so I think that's kind of the frustrating thing. And, and we were kind of talking about before the podcast started. Brady Cook just seems to have one some of just the worst luck. And like his the mistakes that Brady Cook makes, the interceptions both against Florida, just came at the worst times. And it's just. It's it's frustrating and like disappointing and just uh, I don't know. It's discouraging. It's just one of those things that like it just feels like it kicks you while you're down. Like when you're driving and, and Brady Cook puts together maybe his best drive of his collegiate career and then he throws a pick on third down um, in the red zone. It's just like, man, it it was one of those things where it's like, of course this happened. Like, of course, this is this was going to happen on this drive right here. Uh, it's just frustrating the other one he telegraphed covered it. like crazy the, the other one was telegraphed i mean i think yeah. my grandma my grandma probably could have intercepted that ball so <laughs> it was basically well, and, thrown right to the player <laughs> and like some of the blame for that does have to go on the wide receivers now talking about telegraphing the passes patrick mahomes is the best quarterback in the nfl Everyone knows that. Well, arguably everyone knows that. Everyone likes to argue about that. But the Chiefs fans know that to be true. And they, the offense that the Chiefs have right now is so talented that, yes, Travis Kelsey just had four touchdowns Monday night. But there's a lot of other wide receivers that are getting the ball. There's a lot of other wide receivers that are getting touches, getting plays. And that's a great thing for the offense because it is so hard to guard an offense that has so many weapons. But on KC Lab this week, they talked about the whole wide receiver room. Who needs to step up? Who is stepping up? It's the wide receiver room. It's not the tight end room. You know, Travis Kelsey is a tight end. Well, he does get a lot of receptions and is kind of used as a wide receiver. But the wide receivers need to step up. Are some rookies like Sky Moore going to get a few more touches going into the second half? Or... Uh, is it just going to be Travis Kelsey from here on out? So they talk about the wide receiver room and what needs to happen to kind of amp up the offense in order to go into the Bills game and come out with a win. I mean, it, it's usually a Travis Kelsey game, to be fair. Uh, going back, eliminating Travis Kelsey, which, you know, he's the star. He's the guy that's going to get the bulk of these targets, although Juju has gotten pretty much the same amount of targets as in most games here. Week one, Juju Smith-Schuster leads all receivers, not tight ends, all receivers in receiving yards. Week two, Justin Watson leads all receivers in receiving yards. Week three, Juju Smith-Schuster. Week four, MVS. And now week five, MVS. 
I think the the thing that's fun to look at about all of those is that it's not just one guy that's spiking up there. Like this week, MVS has 90 yards receiving. You know, he looks good. He's getting a lot of targets. McCall Hardman's right behind him at 73. Like it, a lot of times here, you're having that second receiver for the Chiefs be right behind the number one guy. And that's, again, eliminating Travis Kelsey, who is usually outpacing them all. So that sort of contribution is what we had kind of hoped for when we were talking about this offense all along. It's what Patrick Mahomes was referring to when he was talking about fantasy. It's like, it's going to suck for you guys a little bit because the ball is going to go everywhere. These guys are all going to get, you know, targets. They're going to get games. It's going to depend game to game. And so far that's been correct. And they played against some good defenses so far. So to see different guys win in different ways, even if it's not always the way that we would hope guys are utilized or guys are implemented to you know, best fit their strengths, it still is working. There's a very clear path, a very clear plan. And I love the way so far that they're implementing these guys in the offense. So that's that's a lot of fun there. All right. Do we want to do we want to bring it down a notch? No, yeah. hold on. We can't get away from wide receivers. We have to okay. talk about yeah, go go right ahead. Yeah. Just, we gotta do this the quick sky more thing because it, it it peaked last week versus the Bucks where he got a lot more reps. And I don't know if it's because the run game was working. I don't know if it was the specific something they saw with the Buccaneers defense. It seemed like there was a slight drop in Sky Moore's reps this week. And I don't think it was a, anything he did wrong. It seemed like it must have been a defensive game plan aspect. He was put on the backside of a lot of three-by-one formations last week, ran a lot of isolated routes, didn't get a ton of targets, but the ones he did, he made use of this week. He doesn't even get a target until they're just running some screens, but they, you know, they trust him in these high leverage situations. He did exactly what you would expect on a wide receiver screen each time. So that was good to see. Um, I think we did have a question about is Sky more 100% on his targets? Um, no, Levante David dropped out on an RPO that he had entered into a run fit, dropped out, and knocked it down before it got to him. But I believe Sky Moore. There's been a deep one to the corner he didn't catch as well. Any ball he's got his hands on, I believe he has caught in the regular season, though. Um, there's been a couple he has not been able to get to. That one by David, there was a deep one against the Bucks, But he's there, and I am still waiting for the Skymore breakout game. I have faith that it's coming because they're putting him out there on a game-winning drive or a game-icing drive. Like, he's out there. Like, they tr they're trying to throw the ball to or put him out there into situations where it matters. I think it's coming. It's just, as we're talking about, any given week, it can be any guy. It's really hard to insert a rookie into that when you still have four other guys you think could all have a big game that week. Just like you said it, any given wide receiver can have a breakout game for the Chiefs any week. You know, Travis Kelsey was it this week, and next week it might be Juju Smith-Schuster, or the next week it might be Sky Moore or McCole Hardman. We don't know, and that is the beauty of the Chiefs' offensive weapons right now. But on outside the trenches, Tucker Franklin has a good idea on what it's going to take for the Chiefs to defeat the Bills this week. You know, um, the Bills have an electric offense as well with Josh Allen and their wide receivers. So is this going to be a shootout? Absolutely. I would take the over on this all the time. But what does each team need to do individually to come out with a win? You know, it's going to be an offensive game for sure. But what are the Chiefs going to have to do differently to come out with that win uh, to me i think it's i think it's simple i think i think the chiefs have to run the ball i think the Chiefs have to run the football and i think a lot of the narrative has been 
uh, around Patrick Mahomes is you got to keep him off the field, right? You got to keep him off the field. So you need to run the ball. You need to eat up the time of possession. Uh, we could talk about that all, all we want, but I think that uh, you can almost flip that narrative here with Josh Allen. If you, if Josh Allen's not on the field, you're probably in a good spot. This defense is good, but I think that you're probably in a good spot. The less time Josh Allen is on the field and the less time that Josh Allen uh, can hurt you. And, and the chiefs don't have that big playability like they had in the past. The bills have that big playability that they have. We obviously saw, I think Gabe Davis caught like a 98 yard touchdown. And then he did have a 60 yard touchdown also later in that game. Um, so I think it's going to be interesting to see a, uh, what defense the chiefs come out in. We talked about that a little bit uh, with, with the covering, but I think on offense, they got to run the ball. They have to be very, um, I don't necessarily think that they have to take up these big, huge long drives, but they have to be, efficient with their drives i don't think that they can have any any wasted plays any wasted motion right when you talk about running 40s it's a, that's a big one it's like you have to be very efficient with your movement to get to point a to point b as quick as you can i think that that has to be the chiefs but i don't think that they're not going to have the big plays right they we've seen the chiefs they've had some big plays justin watson over the middle you've hit mvs on a deep ball every now and again but it's not consistent like it was with Tyreek Hill. Um, so you have to, you have, it's just not fair to compare, obviously. Yeah. But um, then you see Tyreek Hill doing those big plays in Miami. So yeah, Tyreek Hill's a big play guy. Mm -hmm. And that's, I'm not embarrassed to say that. And I think Chiefs should admit that. Um, but that doesn't mean Patrick Holmes and the Chiefs are worse to, to compliment Tyreek Hill. Those two things can still be true. They're not mutually exclusive. Um, but I think the Chiefs needing to run the ball, control the game, the more that Patrick Mahomes is on the field, obviously, the better it is for the Chiefs. Um, I know that seems maybe a little bit of an elementary school of thought, but I think that that's kind of where I'm at with this game is I, I, the Chiefs really need to be in control of the game, and I think to do that, they've really got to get the run game going. Just like Tucker said, the Chiefs are going to need to be in control this week to defeat the Bills. The Bills are arguably the Chiefs' biggest hurdle right now in the NFL in their road to the Super Bowl. But the Chiefs can come out with a win. It is at home Sunday afternoon, and they just need to maintain their game, their tempo, and their control of the game. Now, hopefully they will come out with a win, but we have everything that you need to know right here every single week on the Best Writing presented by Charlie Hustle. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.